Hi, everyone. Welcome to the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. Today's podcast focuses on a new open source measure of autistic symptomatology and why some of the mainstream press got the title all wrong. This one you may have heard about from multiple outlets. The Daily Mail labeled it as, quote, a questionnaire that can tell if your child has autism, unquote. And I will say that the authors were shocked and dismayed at this title. Not that the Daily Mail is, say, National Public Radio, but the title is flat out misleading. And they weren't alone. Next week, I'll talk with researchers whose study got completely misinterpreted by NBC News. Both have to do with tests that can diagnose or at least assess or screen autism. Quick, easy, single biomarkers or short quizzes or instruments to be filled out by parents. Are these things too good to be true? Is it possible to funnel down hours and hours of intense behavioral intervention and multiple blood and tissue tests down to one thing? Well, yeah, it is too good to be true. Next week, I'll interview those authors who used a new tool that looks at the levels of different compound and baby hair strands as a biomarker. Some kids are born with hair, so that means it grew prenatally and it's susceptible to prenatal exposures. Then, of course, the baby's born, it keeps on growing, and like rings on a tree, you can tell when and what they were exposed to. But that's another story. Stay tuned for special guests, the authors themselves, on that one. This podcast is more about another study which was misrepresented in the media. And again, it happens a lot, so I'm here to clear things up. Tom Frazier is a professor at John Carroll University in Ohio who wanted to create a measure that was valid and reliable that could be used in multiple settings to help diagnose autism and was free and open source. His challenge was that most cost a lot of money or even some money or lots of training to use and a lot of money. This is because autism needs to be diagnosed specifically. People need to be trained. Multiple instruments do need to be used to not just look at autism symptoms, but other challenging behaviors and other features of ASD. Sometimes you end up using multiple, multiple tools. So the goal is to create something that's not overwhelmingly difficult, but still accurate. If people who are screened or diagnosed with autism do not actually have a diagnosis or were not diagnosed properly, it prevents them from getting the services they actually need. Neurodevelopmental disorders are a broad umbrella, but at some point, neurodiversity itself becomes so broad that it blocks the fact that different people need different supports and different services. That Lancet article published late last year that got so much backlash for the term profound also in it emphasizes the need to meet people where they are in terms of diagnosis and services. Some countries around the world have one pediatric neurodevelopmental pediatrician. Can they sit there and do ADOSs and ADIRs and CBCLs and Vinelands all by themselves? Of course not. But are there tools that can be used to identify those who could use some supports services, yes, interventions, and may not take hours or cost thousands of dollars. The Lancet agrees there needs to be a wider community who are trained, by the way, in assessing the needs of families and providing interventions and supports that are appropriate for that situation, the culture, and the resources in that community. 
So Dr. Fraser's group, which also included people from Autism Speaks and the Hartwell Foundation, as well as some people from the University of North Carolina or clinics around the Cleveland area, wanted to develop and evaluate a free measure, one that was open source, and they called it the Autism Symptoms Dimensions Questionnaire, or ASDQ. It started with a 33-item version, and then they tested it and found that actually it was more accurate with a 39-item version. They looked at it at 1,500 kids between the ages of 2 and 17, 100 of which had already had a diagnosis of autism. They started with the 33 items because they wanted to start somewhere. It was a parent report, and it focused on the DSM criteria of autism. Many of these short-form evaluations are not informed by the DSM. So the first round wasn't as good at detection as they hoped it'd be, so then they retested it in a different group with a 39-question version. They created this test, but they also compared it across other validated instruments like the Stanford Social Dimension Scale, Executive and Adaptive Functioning Scales, the Social Communication Questionnaire, and the Strengths and Differences Questionnaire. So they wanted to know not just was it sensitive, but was it accurate based on more established and validated measures. So this tool is free and online, and I'll put the 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 link to it in the podcast summary, but it asks questions like, how does this person start interactions without prompting? Do they use gestures to communicate? How do they show, show their enjoyment about interests? Do they have conversations? Do they respond appropriately in conversations? Do they memorize facts or learn about technical subjects? Do they spend too much time on something without including others? Again, it's online and it's free. And they compared how people did on this to the more standardized measures. The difference being this one was one measure and not five, and it would be free. So again, they tested in about 1,500 kids, ages 2 to 17 years. It was parent report because many of these younger kids can't answer the questions themselves, and depending on the cognitive ability, that includes older kids. Some had identified with autism previously or been diagnosed with autism previously. That's the 100. Some had a developmental disability that wasn't autism, and some were completely neurotypical. Now, it did separate those with ASD versus those with developmental disabilities, and it didn't pick up on things like depression, bipolar, ODD, anxiety, and intellectual disability, even though those may have been part of the basic phenotype of those individuals with autism. It just didn't pull them out separately. Now, of course, these things can affect an ASD diagnosis. They're measuring core autism symptoms, but they acknowledge it's no way perfect. Right now, it's really kind of imagined as a screening tool, a free screening tool that can be used widely and maybe a little more specific than other screening tools, but that study has not been done yet. As I was reading this article, I also read an article in the journal Children about ASD in the Dominican Republic. Now, there's actually no official records of how many kids in the DR have autism. There are some special needs organizations, but very few of them, and that helped kids with developmental disorders, and that would help kids with developmental disorders in the DR. They have a limited understanding or knowledge and a very, very limited educational services in that country. So can this tool help those in that little corner of the world that has nothing because they know so little and have so little resources? 
Maybe with some training and support and some ways to have instruments be open and free to the community rather, rather than having to pay for them. That's what this is really about, making sure there's val- a valid instrument to assess for autism in places where there's nothing. And again, maybe not fully diagnose autism or make that separation between autism and other neuropsychiatric issues, but it's a start. So to receive an official diagnosis, children still must see a trained professional, but this ASDQ questionnaire represents another step towards getting that autism-specific evaluation. The American Academy of Pediatrics already advises 18 and 24-month milestones in screening for autism, and this is where the child's language movement and thinking skills are tracked and monitored with the rest of their age group. However, formal diagnoses must be handled by a trained psychologist or developmental pediatrician or child psychologist. So if they're not ready to call it a day and recommend this tool as a diagnostic measure, why publish on it? They published on it so people could see it. They never intended for it to replace more evidence-based, valid, reliable measures of in-person or hours-long conversation that can either diagnose it or rule it out so an accurate diagnosis can be made. What they're trying to do is report back on it. It's reliable and valid, but it should not replace what people are doing, at least here in the United States yet. It needs more data and it needs to be replicated. Another thing I think about even with a diagnosis, it's different in each person. This will provide cutoff scores. And of course, there are particular questions that measure different areas of function, but it's not that thorough. I don't think anyone in this study who was included that had a genetic syndrome, which in fact has a higher percentage of intellectual disability, medical comorbidities like seizures, and also minimal language ability. But they have lots of other problems. How can you diagnose autism in these groups? I'm not sure you could simply do it with this particular tool. I'm not suggesting another new measure, but how? This new study on those genetic syndromes showed that there's heterogeneity in symptom presentation, even with those with rare genetic forms of autism. So maybe this model would pick autism up, but still much more needs to be done to understand, even in groups with a known genetic cause, how to better diagnose them. It's hard with so many comorbid psychiatric conditions and also medical comorbidities. To ensure an accurate diagnosis of autism and those with syndromic forms of autism, they do need probably a little bit more. They do show unique characteristics that need to be included, especially since they have a higher rate of intellectual disability. And autism may be the least of their challenges, but they need help too. So I hope you get a chance to use the link in the podcast summary to look at this new tool. And please feel free to comment in Facebook or the podcast summary and ask questions about it. Again, it's a first step. They've already made a lot of great progress already, but it's not the last we're going to hear about this. Thanks for listening and talk to you next week.